Good morning. Ooh, am I loud? Or is it just in my ears? Y'all made it here today. That's good. Because I'm going to tell you, working on this side of town, these roads out here have been crazy. Let me just tell you. Um, yesterday, I left the church to go towards the mall. It took me 20 minutes to get from here just up to the mall. And so it's been like that all week, though. It's just people have come out. People who normally stay home and should stay home <laughs> have all come out this week, right? And I'm afraid it's just going to be just as bad today and tomorrow. Uh, but it has been a crazy shopping time. People are just everywhere going shopping. I read a story that I liked about two guys who lived on the coast. And their wives had decided it was time for them to go Christmas shopping. But the two guys had a different idea. They said, you know what, we're going to go sailing. And so they, they got their boat, they went out on the water, and while their wives were Christmas shopping, and a storm surprised them. storm rolled in, and all of a sudden their boat is getting tossed around, and their sailboat runs up on a sandbar as they're trying to make their way back to the, to the uh, shore. And so they jump out of the boat, and they're pushing, and they're rocking their boat trying to get it off this sandbar as these waves are just beating them against the side of the boat. And one of the guys looks over to his friend and says, still beat shopping, doesn't it? I, I agree. How many of you guys love to shop? How many of you are in denial, right? Some of you, yeah. Some of your husband's sitting there or your wife and you say, I can't say it because then they'll, they'll know that I, I love it. Um, well, I'm not a big shopping fan, but I, I try to get it done. But this morning I, I had a couple of gifts, and I wanted to see if you're if you're sopper shabby, savvy. Why do you say that word? Savvy? That's a weird word if you ever look how it's spelled. But see if you're savvy as a shopper, okay? So I got a couple of gifts, and the gifts are you're either going to love it, okay? And you're going, I love this gift. I'm going to buy it for somebody, or you're going to leave it. Say, no, I, there's no way I should buy this gift, okay? So I want you to look on the screen at the first one. This is called a Polaroid Cube. These is one of the, this is one of the hottest gifts out there right now. It's about this big. It's a little bitty cube, and it takes amazing uh, video and pictures. And you can set this thing anywhere, and it just takes great pictures. So it is one of the hottest items out there. So you, this would be something, would you leave it or would you love it? Well, everybody's buying it, so evidently people are loving it, right? All right, go to the next one. Now, this is a bug vacuum, right? <laughs> This is a, and I think if you buy now, you'll throw an extra one in just for the price of one. It's a bug vacuum, right? <laughs> There's a bug on the wall. Instead of using the old time-tested method of rolling up a newspaper and whacking the bug, they've got a vacuum cleaner that sucks the bug off the wall for you and puts it in a little thing where you can dump it outside, right? I, and step on it. I don't know what you do after you dump it outside. So would you love it or leave it? How many of you guys would love this? Some of you, yeah, hey, my daughters would love it, right? But I'd say most of us would want to leave it because it's, it's voted as one of the worst gifts. All right, what's the next one? This is the hoverboard. Yeah, see, if all the students were here, they'd be going, ooh, yeah, because my kids have been going crazy about this, right? So you love it, yes, yeah? You think people are loving it? Yeah, they're loving it. They're not leaving it, uh, although it has been catching on fire lately. It just makes you move faster. I don't know. All right, what's the next one? This is a Fitbit. I'll be honest, I'm torn on this one. Any, who's here is wearing a Fitbit right now? Is there anybody here with a Fitbit? Yeah, there's people with them on. This is one of the hottest selling items this year, right? People are loving it. But I'm just not so sure. 
that I wouldn't leave it. Because I feel guilty enough. Something's, my closet's already shrinking my clothes. I don't need a little watch telling me how lazy I am, right? But everybody's buying it. They're loving it. How about the next one? A Snuggie. For the whole family. Now listen, I was making fun of this one. And Steve White went, hold on. I love my Snuggie. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is voted as one of the worst Christmas gifts, but Steve White would beg to differ. As a matter of fact, I think he wants one if anybody's out to buying him something. And I think they've got them that have muscles on them. So when you wear it, it looks like you got big muscles. Uh, that's the one he needs. All right, how about the next one? The Pet Petter. <laughs> it's no joke. This is for real. This is not a made-up gift. For those people who are too lazy to pet their own cat, <laughs> you can just set it down and it'll pet your cat for you. If I had a cat, I would have a pet petter because I don't like cats. But you need to do some confession if you're buying that for somebody. I'm just telling you right now. How about the next one? Fruitcake. Last one. <laughs> yeah. And always, everybody always makes fun of the fruitcake, right? You know... There was a poll taken, and number one, worst gift given is a fruitcake, and number two is no gift at all. So people would rather get no gift at all than to get a doorstop made out of fruitcake, right? Um, so I don't know how you guys are doing on the shopping, right? I know the reputation of this church is everybody's on time, so I'm sure you're already all completed on your shopping list. Uh, I hope you get it done. But it's easy, isn't it, this time of year to lose perspective of Christmas? And in truth, that was funny, but we get caught up in am I buying the right gift for this person, for that person? Am I I getting enough for my kids? Are they going to be happy? And we get caught up in this madness of shopping for Christmas. And so just in case this morning, just in case you've been really busy, or you've been very distracted, or you just haven't thought about it at all, what I want to do this morning is just do a quick and hopefully clear overview of the Christmas story to kind of get us refocused, to kind of get us back on track with where our minds should be about this time of year and about Christmas. So we're going to be looking, for those of you, if I don't tell you where I'm at in the Bible, you'll think I haven't preached. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2. So here's Mary, here's a young girl, and an angel of the Lord shows up to Mary and says, you have been chosen, you've been highly favored by God. And this bothered her a little bit because who am I, right? And the angel says, listen, you are going to have a child. And not just any child, it's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be the Son of God, the Lord. And Mary goes, but how is that supposed to happen? Because I, I haven't known a man. And they just said, listen, God's going to take care of that. You don't worry about that. But just know that, that God is going to send you a son. His name's going to be Jesus. And he's going to be the Messiah. And Mary, being the servant, said, whatever you say, Lord. Whatever you say, let it be. Now, and you can imagine that young girl having to go to her soon-to-be husband, her fiancé, and explain to him, guess what, Joseph? I'm going to have a baby, but I didn't cheat on you. I didn't commit adultery. And you can imagine that young man struggling with that idea of his young wife 
being pregnant. But the angel of the Lord also came and met with Joseph and told him, said, listen, what Mary told you is true. That this really is happening. And Joseph, proving the kind of man that he is, accepted it. And then we know the story that Mary goes to see Elizabeth, her, her cousin, who was, very, was older, and she's pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay? And when they come together, Mary being pregnant with Jesus, and, and here comes Elizabeth, and it says that John leaped. Is it leapt or leaped? Some of you English teachers can correct me later. Anyhow, it jumped around in her belly, okay? And so it's so exciting. It just confirmed to Mary what all that G, the, the angel had told her about this baby she was carrying. Now, if you go ahead and put on chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. In 44 B.C., Julius Caesar uh, was proclaimed a god... And then two years later, by the same men that proclaimed him as a god, he was killed at the hands of those men. So everything that Julius Caesar, his power, his wealth, and everything passed to his 19-year-old adopted son named Optimus, Gaius. And this young man was kind of a reluctant leader. Uh, he played the part of a humble leader, but it wasn't but so many years later that Halley's comet streaked across the sky, and he used that as an excuse to also proclaim himself as a, as a god, just like his father. And he was, he was to be known as Caesar Augustus. So here is a self-proclaimed god leading the Roman world in the time that the historians call Pax Romana, and it's called the, the Peace of Rome. But it's a very brutal peace, because uh, Rome cared about two things. They cared about submission to Rome, and they cared about getting their money. They cared about the taxes coming in. They cared about getting all their coffers filled up with the gold of the people that they ruled. So here's Caesar Augustus, this young ruler who's gained so much power that he's proclaimed himself to be God. And he says, guess what? We're going to do a census of the whole world, of everything that I own, just to make sure I'm getting all the taxes I can get from all the people that I now rule. So it says that he, he issued a, a decree that a census should be taken. And in verse 3 it says, And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he was to register with his wife Mary. So Here's Joseph. He could trace his line like hundreds and maybe thousands of other young men back to David. So they're all making their way to this small town called Bethlehem, the city of David, the town of David. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Pretty rough terrain between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So much so that Bethlehem's a little bit still removed and considered kind of a small farming town. And so all of a sudden you've got hundreds and thousands of young men converging on this small town to go and to register a census because they are in the line of David. I think it's very interesting at this point that Caesar Augustus, who thought he was a god, issued a decree and he sent Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem, the city of David, and therefore fulfilling Micah about the prophecy that the, 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 the Messiah would be born in the town of David. So he thought he was a God, but he was just an errand boy for God. He thought he was putting all this together for himself, but God was orchestrating all along. 
So here's Caesar Augustus, and he's doing the handiwork of God. So all these men converge on Bethlehem. And listen, there's a, there's a lot of people that filled up this small town. And it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. The time came for that baby to be born. But guess what? There was no room in what? The inn? See, these uh, eastern rules of hospitality would make you take somebody into your home. Now, I'm not talking about if they knocked on your door, you had to let them stay. If you see a stranger or a, a visitor come into your town, you actively went to that person and said, Hey, guess what? You come stay in my house and you take care of them. But this Bethlehem was overrun. There were so many people coming back for the census that all the homes were filled. And, and we get this visual, don't we, of Mary and Joseph walking around town, just aimlessly wandering, looking for a vacancy at a day's end. But the truth be told, inns were no place for a husband and a wife. They were seedy, seedy places. It's the difference between a five-star motel and a truck stop. Because the inns is where all the caravans would go and they would just bring all their people and their, their animals and all their stuff and they would just pile it all together and sleep all over the floor and keep their stuff safe from robbers. So Mary and Joseph have traveled back to Bethlehem because that's where their, their ancestors are from, from David, the line of David. And it's come time for this baby to be born. And so here they are, they find themselves, there's no room in the inn. There's not even room on the floor for them to lay. So the innkeeper puts them out in the stable. Philip, Philip Keller, uh, he, he describes it this way. He says, the sheep corral, filthy as only an eastern animal enclosure can be, reeked pungently with manure and urine accumulated across the season." Joseph cleared a corner just large enough for Mary to lie down. The birth of royalty has always been a cause for rejoicing, especially the birth of the firstborn. But Jesus, however, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel, the Son of God, quietly entered the world in a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem beneath notice. Can you just imagine in your mind that they kind of feel like they've hit the bottom? They've traveled a long time. They've traveled a long way. It's been a miserable journey for a lady who was, was fixing to have a child. And they end up in a stable. And they clear out the, I, I won't describe exactly what it is, they're clearing out there to make room for her to lie down. But you can use your imagination. And I can imagine in my, in my mind that that Mary and Joseph were just a little down at this point. I know we always see the manger scene and there's light shining and, and the animals are singing to Jesus. Or is that just the stuff I watch with my kids? I don't know. You know, we get this idea that this stable was this happy place. But I'm, I'm not so sure. It, it wasn't a moment of, of testing for them, of doubt. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's a Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. Your baby will be found wrapped 
in clothes and lying in a manger. These shepherds, they're out there. Shepherds were the social outcast of their day. See, while they tended the animals required for sacrifice, any conscientious Jew who was worried about purity would never stand side by side with a shepherd in worship. I mean, it would be, uh, if you want to get in your mind, it's like a migrant worker walking up to a, to a, a country club asking if he could come in and eat with them. And that's how they were viewed in the Hebrew society. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think I'm a little bit of shepherd. I feel a little bit of shepherd. This past week, Steve has always been so good to invite us into his home for the staff party. And so he brings us to the staff party at his house. Him and Manisa do it up, and they treat us so well. But because of everything going on with his family this week, uh, he decided to take us to the city club. All right. So Steve comes by my office, and he's reminding me about the city club, and And he goes, David, no blue jeans, no tennis shoes, no T-shirts, no shorts. I said, am I supposed to come naked? I mean, what's the the deal here? Um, And he he didn't really laugh, honestly. I think he was making his point. He didn't laugh. So he said, no, you're supposed to dress like me. So I put my little fancy pants on, and I put my little collared shirt and my fancy new boots I bought at Tractor Supply, you know. And I went to the city club, and, and it went well. It was a great time up there. But, but I'm going to be honest with you, I, I can eat everything with one fork. I don't need a bunch of fork. I can eat my whole meal with one stinking fork. I can eat ice cream with it if you push me hard enough. And Tom Reinhardt got a little miffed because I ate, I used the wrong fork for my dessert. I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize there was a difference. It just looked like a bunch of forks to me. Um, So I can relate to shepherds just a little bit, all right? But here they are. They're they're the outcasts. And the angels showed up and said, listen, there's going to be a baby born. And it says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, there's one angel. And they were afraid. Can you imagine what happened when a thousand showed up? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Listen, God knew what he was doing when he went to the shepherds. Instead of the country club. I'm not bashing country clubs. I play good golf at country clubs. But he knew what he was doing. Instead of going to the upper level and the leadership and the higher ups and telling them to come to the stable and see baby Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you what would happen if those people would have shown up in their suits and they would have walked in and, and they would have been looking at their feet and they would go, what is that smell? And you're crazy to tell me that the Messiah we've been waiting for for hundreds of years is being born in this nasty place. But when the shepherds showed up, in their, in their humility, they showed up and said, wow, this is the Messiah. And they were excited. And they went and spread the word everywhere about what had happened. And the angel was coming and they got to see the Messiah child.
And this is probably one of my favorite verses in this story. You're very familiar with it, I'm sure, in verse 19 of chapter 2. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's a lot that's been going on. And I can imagine up until the point before the shepherds showed up, Mary's a little, little bit miffed and trying to figure out what is really going on. And all of a sudden, all these shepherds show up at the stable and they're proclaiming the, the, what the angels had said and how incredible it was. And, and they were they're just so excited about seeing baby Jesus. I'm sure that it confirmed in her heart everything that God had told her. And the scripture says that after all that, she pondered and treasured in her heart all these things. That, that God would choose me above all women. That he would give me a husband like Joseph that would accept all of this craziness and love me. And that he would take care of me. And even though I'm here in the stable, he's taking care of me. And he has confirmed to me by all these shepherds showing up, singing the praises of God because of what they had seen. And it says she treasured all this up in her heart. McDonald's says this. It's wonderful to think that the great God who fills heaven and earth should compress himself into a human body. From the palace of heaven to a cattle shed, a stable, a manger. The omnipotent one became a helpless baby. It's no exaggeration to say that he who Mary held in her arms held Mary. For he is a sustainer as well as the maker. He's a sustainer as well as the maker. And she pondered all that up in her heart. But let me ask you, have you paused yet? this season to ponder the extraordinary links that God would go to love you and to forgive you. As Spurgeon say that an infinite would become an infant. The infinite would become an infinite. The eternal would be born of a woman supporting the universe and yet needing to be carried in in his mother's arms. The Lord of the universe set aside his royal robes and exchanged them for a set of diapers. Have you stopped to think about that? About how much God loves you that he would send his son to earth to be born and born to die. See, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what I hear all the time from church people. There's a war on Christmas. I see it on TV. There's a war on Christmas. They're trying to get rid of our stables and uh, uh, all the stuff that has to do with Jesus from Christmas. And, and, and we complain and complain about it. I don't believe there's a war on Christmas. I think it's a wholesale surrender by Christians just giving it up. That we get so caught up in the buying and the stuff that we just let the world have Christmas. We've allowed it to happen. We've allowed it to let it become something that it's not. Because we join right with them, don't we? I'm confessing. I've spent a lot more time running through the stores buying things for people to try to make them happy than I have worshiping God. But soon the lights and the trees will come down. And And they'll be forgotten until next year. They will. 
do we dare let another Christmas come and go without thinking about what truly happened? Do we do that? We need to stop. We need to ponder. We need to treasure in our hearts. Christmas is more than a holiday. It's the birth of a Messiah. Christmas is a time of personal worship, not personal shoppers. Christmas is a story that needs to be told, not bought. Jesus is the only gift people need, not a pair of socks. So I've got something I want you to do for this next week. Um, pardon me as I tell you exactly what you're supposed to do starting tomorrow, okay? Get your pen out. You ain't going to remember it. Write it down on paper. If you don't, I'm going to pray that you get sick sometime this week. <laughs> and then it's not going to be nice. Or I'm going to pray you get, uh, I'm going to get a fruitcake. <laughs> on Monday, I want you to grab your Bible. And I want you to read Luke chapters 1 and 2. And I want you to have a private worship session. Just you, your Bible, and God. Luke 1 and 2. And have a private worship session. Read it and be reminded all that God did to deal with your junk and your sin and your separation from him. The infinite becoming an infant. Wow. On Tuesday, I want you to gather your family together and talk with them about the reason Jesus was born. And for you parents... You're the best minister, best preacher, the best deliverer of truth your children have. You gather them together and you talk about what you learned in Luke 1 and 2 in your worship time. And on Wednesday, I want you to take all the Christmas cards from the people that have sent you, and I want you to spend some time as a family praying over those cards, praying over the faces on those cards and the people that sent, that God would be touching them and God would be, be meeting them where they are this season as well. That they would be reminded of who he is and what he's done for them. And on Thursday, before you open your presence, I want you to spend some time thanking God for his presence. Before you open your presence with each other, I want you to stop and take a moment and say, God, thank you. Keep it in perspective. And then every day I want you to realize this. Listen, if you haven't bought a gift yet, or if you've bought gifts already, I, want you to, I just want you to think about this. The greatest gift that any, you can give anybody this year is the message of Jesus Christ. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's, it's what he's done for them. And don't substitute that with something else. Because it won't fit. It won't work. It doesn't do any good. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to open up the altar. And maybe God is just worked on your heart and you said I, I've been thinking about everything but you God and you just need to come and confess that or maybe you already got in your mind somebody who's on one of those Christmas cards or somebody you're going to be sitting across from needing any nose to nose this Christmas season that doesn't know Jesus and you need to come down here and you need to pray for those people but also the last thing is this you look across this crowd before we leave and go our separate ways, there's somebody here that needs you to hug them and say, I love you. There's somebody that needs you to step into their life this morning and say, I love you. I just want you to know I appreciate you. There's people that are going through rough times this season, this Christmas. There's people that are going to be at first Christmas by themselves. 
There shouldn't be anybody left in a seat. There sh- you be, should be able to find somebody. So the altar is open for you, but also make sure you tell people. Even if you've got to walk from here all the way, it's okay. If you've got to go from here all the way over here, we'll wait on you. Don't think they're just too far. Just go. Go see, go see them. Go tell them you love them. So let's stand up. And I'm hoping Steve White's going to come up here. There he is. He's hiding in the back with his Snuggie. The song says, come just as you are. That's the way Jesus accepts us. So let's join together as we sing this song of invitation. As David said, the altar is open. We invite you to come and just talk to the Lord just as you are. Come just as you are. See?